Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, our gospel text takes a place on a body of water eight miles wide and 13 miles long. In Jesus' day, nine cities crowded its shorelines, each with no less than 15,000 citizens. The names of these cities reflected the importance that the fishing industry had in that area. Bethsaida means fish town. Shallow waters just offshore were a fisherman's paradise. Hundreds of fishing boats would troll the lake with their nets. Galileans ate little meat except fish. It was fish, and it came highly salted as there was really no other way of preserving the catch of the day. But the fisherman's day didn't end with the return to shore. Mending, washing nets, preserving fish, maintaining the boats and the supplies, negotiating with merchants, all that made for long, tiring hours. And it was into this setting that Jesus began to teach. Disciples had heard of Jesus, his, mirac his miraculous deeds, his authoritative teaching. Thus, the reason Peter called Jesus master. But they weren't yet disciples. You might say they were shallow followers to this point. When Jesus was finished teaching, he still had one more lesson to give. He told Simon Peter to launch into the deep and let down his nets for a catch. Now, at this point, Peter must have been thinking something like this. Master, if you were a professional fisherman, you'd know the chances of catching, catching fish right now are about as good as me becoming emperor. During the night, that's the time to catch fish, and goodness knows we tried. We tried without any luck, none whatsoever. But here in the morning, with the sun beating down in the water, you can't catch fish. The net will spook them. And besides, we're tired. Master, with all due respect, you know a lot about God, Scripture, sin, and salvation, but you don't know anything about fishing. I'm a professional. Who are you to tell me how to fish? Have you ever felt like that? I think it's safe to say we all have. We've all at times suggested to God that we know more about our business than God does. One example might go like this. Lord, I realize what the Bible says about forgiving enemies, doing good to those who would harm you. But in the corporate world, that doesn't make any sense. The only way to deal with a corporate enemy is to bash them. We do that in all kinds of different ways, telling God how things should be done, acting as if we are the authority and God doesn't know what he's talking about. We've all stood before God at one time or another suggesting we know how God should answer our prayers and that we know our business better than God knows our business. But God is in the business of grace, forgiveness, life, salvation, and changing lives. He knows each of us better than we even know ourselves. And so today as we go through our gospel text, we'll see five C's that will bring about change in our lives and purpose for living. The first C is communicates. 
Jesus communicates his will and purpose by teaching and giving a miraculous sign of his presence. We know that Peter was impulsive, passionate, headstrong, independent, and even rebellious. But notice here that Jesus didn't overpower him. A lot of times we think of an encounter with God's presence, we think of, a, of like a hammer, a fist, an earth-shaking, shattering upheaval. But Jesus met Peter at the very center of his existence, the place that mattered most to him, his job. Jesus entered Peter's world of fishing and turned it upside down, all with an invitation to go deeper. Now, if all that was ever important to Peter was a net full of fish, here he had it. This should have been the culminating moment of his career. Jesus communicated the things of God to him. Here you are, Peter, with all the fish you've ever hoped for. And now you know there's more to life than fish. Jesus is communicating from his word once again today. Communicating to us to go deep into God's word. To call out to God in prayer. To rely on him and being in his arms. God communicates to you that you are loved. That there is always hope and that grace and mercy abound. God brings about miracles with his presence. And and these happen wherever God is present. Not only here, but also in your marriage, in your finances, in your schoolwork, at your workplace. God won't force us to change. Instead, he has promised to always be present with us calling out for us to go deeper into his will through his word and sacraments. And we respond to God in his presence with the second C, confessing. Confessing our sin and then receiving his grace. Peter's reaction to this miraculous catch of fish is, go away from me, Lord. Go away from me because I'm a sinful man. We saw that in our Old Testament text from Isaiah 2, where Isaiah said, Woe to me, I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. And you know what? Peter and Isaiah were both right. They were sinful people. Sinful like each and every one of us. And they were right in describing what God should do about sin. And that is depart. That's what sin does. Sin separates Our impurity drives God and man apart. God's holiness recoils at our evil. But here's where Isaiah and Peter were also both wrong. God didn't abandon them. God didn't leave them. He doesn't leave us either. Isaiah's guilt was taken away, his sin atoned for. For with the touch of God's grace to his lips, Isaiah would be God's mouthpiece. Jesus forgave Peter and empowered him for mission work. The reason that God didn't depart from Isaiah and Jesus didn't go away from Peter lies at the cross. Because there, God departed from Jesus, who took our place. God forsook Jesus because his perfect son was a sinful person in the eyes of his father. Because Jesus carried your sin and mine. 
But now, as God sees it, we carry the righteousness of Christ. The third C is calls. Jesus calls us to the following of God's word. In our text, Peter responded to the Lord's call to go into the deep water with, at your word. And the Greek here means a transition to something new. Really, at the heart of it, it's a, it's a word of faith. It has the thrust of, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. God is constantly calling us to exercise and put into practice the faith that boldly declares, you know, even though you haven't given me a big sign in the sky or a blueprint to follow, nevertheless, at your word, I will follow where you lead. I read about the African Impala. It has a vertical leap of over 10 feet. It can broad jump over 30 feet. And so with stats like that, you'd think that the zoos of the world would have a hard time containing them. But really, it's rather easy. The Impala won't jump unless it can see where it's going to land. Therefore, even a solid wall six feet tall is sufficient. You know, so often we have the Impala problem. We won't follow God's lead unless we can see where it leads, where it ends up. But the nevertheless of faith relies on the presence of God in his word and trust that God only gives the best landing. There is an explanation of our gospel text that was given by a mature woman who is comforting a discouraged younger person. And she said this, did you ever notice that when the Lord told the discouraged fishermen to cast their nets again, it was right in the same old place where they'd been working all night and had caught nothing. If we could only go off to some new place every time we get discouraged, trying again would be an easier thing. If we could only be somebody else or go somewhere else or do something else, it might not be hard to have fresh faith and courage. But it's the same old net in the same old pond for most of us. The old temptations are to be overcome. The old faults must be forgiven. The old trials and discouragements which we failed yesterday must be faced again today. It's the master himself who, after all the toilsome, disheartening efforts that we call failures, invites us to try again. It's not the logic or the advice the world gives, but it's the truth that God, that only God gives. For only he has the power and grace to turn our failures into good. That leads to the next C, captures. Jesus captures our hearts with a passion for the lost. Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. The Greek there for catch means to take alive, and it's used of captives taken alive. Jesus conveys to us, you capture them, I'll clean them. Just as I've captured your heart, I will change their hearts as well. And all we are called to do is to share the truth that we know. To share the fact that we are sinners who deserve nothing but God to depart from us. But in his grace, he has sought to touch us with his forgiveness, as evident through the cross of Christ. We were blind, but now we see. We were lost, but now we are found. We share the good news 
that we know, and it makes a difference in those around us. So Jesus has equipped us for catching people with our lives. All Isaiah and Peter knew after confronting the presence of God is that God is who he says he is. That's all they needed to know. And they took him at his word. And you know what? It's all we need to know as well. It won't require us to leave our current homes or vocations or activities. But what it will mean is seeing them in a brand new way. Seeing them as ways that we can use to be witnesses in our vocations, in our activities, in our homes. And it's going to require forgiveness. Because we will sin and fail daily. It will require trust to take Jesus at his word. And it will require change, not only in our lives, but also in the lives of those whom we meet. Because they will not only recognize you by your name or your work, but hopefully also by your witness, by your trust in God and his word. And so we look at, at the community and the world around us, we realize that the waters are full of fish. Nets must be cast. God is inviting, calling, empowering, equipping, and touching our lives with his grace to be fishers of people. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, go fish. Amen.